Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers make their move to product masters, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you'll create products that customers love. Now, you don't have to have listened to this podcast for very long to know that I place the emphasis of product management on the creation of customer value. Product management equals customer value. If we understand the needs or problems of our customers and we can solve them in a way that creates value for them, well, we've done a good job. And we can turn that value creation into value for ourselves and our organization. A really useful tool that has emerged to more deeply understand the needs of customers is the jobs-to-be-done framework. This tool helps product developers and managers to look at the actual customer problem in a more specific way, asking what job the customer hired the product for. Some examples include milkshakes that were hired by morning commuters to satisfy them during a long drive. Cordless drills that were hired by homeowners who needed to hang curtains. They didn't really care about the cordless drill. What they wanted was a hole for a curtain rod, but the actual job might have been blocking light or adding beauty to a room. Another example is Snickers bars, which were hired to quickly satisfy an empty stomach when there really isn't time for other snacks or food. Now, we've discussed this tool a couple times in the past with practitioners involved in its development. First is Tony Alwick who along with Clayton Christensen are credited as the founders of Jobs to be Done. Next is Chris Speak, who works with Bob Moesta, another co-creator of Jobs to be Done, who shared useful examples of applying the framework, and that was in episode 057. It's time for another look at Jobs to be Done, and we're joined by Brian Ray, a product practitioner who helps startups build better products. Now, you know, I take all the notes for you. So if you hear something during the podcast that you want to go back and look at, just check out the show notes. That's at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 223. And you'll find a summary of the key points there, as well as any links to resources that we talk about. Now, let's hear from Brian. Brian, thanks for joining the Everyday Innovators. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's nice to talk to a fellow Coloradoan. Yeah, I'm up here in Boulder, Colorado and loving it. Yep, we both get to enjoy the best blue sky in America. I've been to most of the states, so I I can say with some degree of authority that that is... Say that legitimately, then. That's right. So we're going to talk about jobs to be done. Why don't we first start with a description of what that thing is? Yeah, what is jobs to be done? And the fundamental premise of jobs to be done is basically that customers, they don't buy products, they hire them to do a job, to improve their life in some way. And a, a metaphor is you know, to just think about it in the same way that a company would decide to hire an employee because the company starts to feel some amount of pain, um, like they're, they're thinking we're falling behind on our design deadlines or our design process is just completely in shambles. And so then that is they're, they're feeling that pain. And that is when they would say, we need to hire another designer. Mm-hmm. We need another product manager. Um, and so when that happens, they put out a, a job posting, um, and, uh, need to hire, uh, for that job and find her, find the right fit. And so when you feel pain as a person in your everyday life, or if you're not making progress in some area, uh, then you, the person, the consumer, you put out a, 
a job posting, a job to be done. And so this is, uh, this is really helpful for entrepreneurs and product managers to remember that people don't care about your thing. Right. They, care, they care about themselves, the pain that they're feeling, the progress they want to make. And so they put out a job posting and it may, and ideally you're trying to create something that they want to hire um, to pull into their lives to start to make some progress. Um, and so that's, that's basically the, the fundamental premise of it. Yeah. Which, and, you'll, and you'll recognize, I mean, it's got, it has its roots back to, you know, Theodore Levitt and people don't want a quarter inch drill. They want a quarter inch hole. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, uh, and so you'll, that's, that's basically the, the underlying lens of jobs to be done. Yeah. I like the analogy to hiring a person and that Levitt quote that often gets used. So jobs to be done as a framework is relatively newish, but you know, Levitt back then said, yeah, we don't want to drill. We want a hole. Yeah. And then I think to put it more in the jobs to be done context, someone has since said, you know, we don't really want a hole. We're trying to do something, right? Like if I'm trying to put an anchor in the wall because I have to mount a curtain rod or something, yep. I don't care about yep. the hole. I'm, I'm trying to get my curtain rod mounted. Yeah, or hang a picture, yeah. or you know, what, whatever it is that you're trying to do. I, th- I, I like I like that recent um, you know fleshing out of that of mm-hmm. that thought because it, it's true. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes so much sense. I don't want a quarter inch hole. I want a quarter inch hole. Uh, well, why? Right, right. <laughs> what, what's what's the hole getting ready to do? And, and I think that that just adds even more color, you know, to the to the analogy. Yeah. Is that yeah? No, nobody wakes up wanting to buy a drill. Nobody wakes up wanting to, you know, listen to a podcast, they want to learn something new, improve their abilities at, the, at work, look good to their colleagues and boss. Like that is why people hire right. podcasts or online courses and, and, and so on. And so it's just helpful to, to keep that in mind. Yeah, it's a great mind shift because as you said, no one cares about our product as excited as we might be about it. Yep. It's what value they get from that. Yeah. What was your journey to jobs be done? How did you get involved with it? Yeah, I, I was I was head of product at a startup uh, here here in Boulder some some years ago. Some years ago, not very many years ago. <laughs> um, uh, and um, I had heard uh, Jason Freed um, of Basecamp. Uh, he I just saw him mention it a time or two on on Twitter, and um, it's like okay, that's that's kind of interesting. I mean, typically if Jason Freed is talking about something, I'll probably be a little bit curious as to what it's about. But at first, like the, the vernacular felt a little bit awkward or, or odd. And I was like, okay, right. jobs to be done. That in- interesting. Um, and then I heard Des Trainer at Intercom say something about it. And then um, I think I'm pretty sure like my, my you know, one of my coworkers, um, our CTO is talking about Clayton Christensen. And then I, I saw Jason Freed mention it again. I was like, okay, what's, What's going? What's going on here? And so I started to dig into it, and um, he and Ryan Singer, who's like one of the the lead designer at Basecamp, he he did an interview with Bob Mesta and Chris Beck of the Rewired Group. Um, and so, if this is anybody's you know first exposure to jobs to be done, um, and you're coming from the design side, I think that that Ryan Singer, uh, if you, if you Google that. I think that you'll, you'll find a ton of interest there. But anyway, a- after hearing those guys, you know, chat about it a number of times and like that, that the metaphor just started to resonate with me because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the message that, Hey, don't pitch features 
think about benefits. And the way that you identify those benefits is to actually know your user, know your customer. Um, that those concepts were, you know, already had a had a place within me, and we were trying we were trying our best to practice that, you know, um, at, at our company. Something about the language um, just really res- resonated, and uh, the, the the metaphor uh, clicked and made sense. Mm-hmm. And so we started doing uh, jobs to be done interviews. Um, at uh, at that startup, and I've been been practicing it ever since, and and now I get to uh, do my best to take what I've learned and share it with my clients these days. Yeah, absolutely, and share it with everyday innovators. I appreciate you doing that. And I want to talk about those interviews in a moment, but mm. first to kind of ground this in examples or some examples would be helpful. And you mentioned Chris Pick; uh, he was back on episode zero five seven. And what I liked about one of the examples he shared was one of Bob's examples of wanting to analyze why people buy a Snicker bar versus why people buy a Milky Way. Mm. And the issue was he was actually being hired by Hershey, and Hershey planned on eliminating one of these brands because they were internally competing with each other. And he, he was just starting to think about this on another business trip, and he was at the airport. So he watched people at the gift store at the airport, right? And when they bought a Snicker bar, he would stop and ask them, why do you buy that bar? And then when they bought a Milky Way, why do you buy that bar? They're actually being hired, you know, this terminology, hired for two very different jobs. And that was just really fascinating. So back in 057, if people want to hear that. Yeah. And you've you've also had Tony Ulwick on a few times. Yeah. So... um Everyone should go back and re-listen to those uh, those interviews. Those are he used to be a fellow Coloradoan too. Now he's out. Oh, actually, I didn't know that. Yeah, now he's out in San Francisco, but yeah. he was yeah. here for a while. Okay, so what are some examples that you've ran into to help us ground this a little bit more? Yeah, so here's here's one that came up just a few days ago in a in a Slack group that I'm a part of with a bunch of other like indie makers. One of the guys is just has just launched. Um, his application was super, super excited about it, um, all jazzed up. And, and he started getting a couple of support requests. Um, and he was like, they're, they're asking, is there a way to, to bulk? It's, it's a time tracker. Hmm. So like, is there a way to bulk, increase or decrease the total time um, on a project at the end of the month? And he's just like, what's even, I mean, he was just, I think, flustered because he was all stoked about, you know, as he should be, like, finally just released the thing. He's like, what's even the use case for that? Who would ever do that? Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Da, da, da. And so myself and a couple other people in the, the group started just asking him a few questions and um, encouraged him. He went back and, and talked to his users to, to find out, well, it's because, they needed to adjust that at the end of the at the end of the month on the project because they forgot to properly keep track of their time. Uh-huh. And he was like, "So what I realize I need to do is I need to I don't need to add the ability to decrease increase or decrease time at the end of the month. Um, I need to on a more regular basis remind them to accurately track their time." Uh-huh. And so uh, that's I mean that's just uh, one one super recent example. I I mean I think that an interesting one to think about just because we are recording this podcast right now is to think about if your job is produce a quality podcast, Uh um, you know, what are like, what are the, the the situation that we find ourselves in um, is that the the progress that you're wanting to make is to grow your audience um, and reduce the time required for that. And so thinking back, like we had to find, we had to find some time, 
um, that, that this would work. Uh-huh. Um, I, I needed to find and reach out to you um, and kind of pitch like, Hey, I, th- I think that this might be interesting to your audience, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, ostensibly that is now happening all over the place as podcasts are kind of, you know, kind of right. having their moment right now. And so um, it would be fantastic if Justin Jackson and the guys who are creating transistor.fm or uh, can't think of the guy's name who's, who's helping build his building uh, breaker. But if you and all the other podcast hosts um, could, could share guests or as a guest, I could say, Hey, I really enjoyed being on the everyday innovator what other podcasts should I reach out to? Uh-huh. Um, and so just thinking about uh, uh, the, the, the way that uh, the way that Clayton Christensen talks about, about it in competing against luck is he says to think about the progress that you want to make, the context that you are in, the obstacles that you're currently facing, the hacks that you're currently using to get that job done. Um, and that's a, that's a huge one, by the way. Um, and then, and then finally how you would, how you would define success, uh-huh. uh, success or quality. Um, and so I think that, uh, the, the obstacles that are in our way and the, and the hacks that people are currently using are the two uh-huh. huge places where innovators can make that observation and realize, Oh, the customer is literally telling us that this thing is so important to them that they are willing to, go to all of these great lengths to arrive at a destination, there's something there. Right. Yeah. Those hacks are very insightful because like that support call that your friend got on the time tracker Yes. and people are trying to figure out ways around <laughs> limitations. They're using the product in a different way than we expected and they're adding hacks to it. Yes. Those yep. are great opportunities to add value and differentiate yourself in the marketplace. Totally. And, and usually that, that knowledge is held in the customer service or customer success department. So if you're an innovator out there, product person trying to um, understand your, your people better and improve your user experience, uh, talk to your customer support people on a regular yeah. basis. They'll, cause they just know that stuff off the top of their head. Oh yeah. People are always doing this, this, this. And then your, you know, I- engineers will often be really annoyed by those hacks. Like, why would you even do that? Isn't it so obvious that that's not the way we designed it. That's not the way we designed it. X, Y, Z. And so ask them what annoys them (laughs) maybe. And and that's where you'll be able to, to uncover that hack. an, An example of that, of that one actually is I had a client I was working with back in the fall and, um, and they do camp management software. Um, they are like the, at the, at the head of their um, head of their industry, um, but they really they need to make some uh, pretty serious upgrades to the uh, the user experience mm-hmm. for the uh, for sending forms like medical forms and registration forms from the parent to the camp, mm-hmm. and um, the system right now only supports just because it's legacy software. They've been in the game for a while. Um, right now, it only supports PDFs for some reason, and so we were doing some interviews with with camp administrators. We were asking them about about that restriction and you know how painful is that and uh, and this camp administrator says, "Oh yeah, you know what we a lot of times parents will just email us a, a jpeg from their from their phone that they took a picture of, and then we convert it to PDF and upload it to the system we're like, oh okay, huh that's interesting." Next camp admin comes along, says the same thing. Third camp admin comes along. We asked them about it and they said, oh yeah, we tell the parents, just send us the JPEG and we'll convert it for you and upload it as a PDF. I'm like, 
okay, um, we need to offer this. <laughs> so that's uh, another, another example there for you. I'm interrupting the interview to share something really important. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute, but I want you to know about an extraordinary system called the Rapid Product Mastery or RPM Experience. In just nine weeks, you can have a higher performing product team meeting only 75 minutes a week with no travel required. One product leader, after trying all the typical training workshops, turned to the RPM experience to get real change for his team. He said that this is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed it to do. If you have a group of 5 to 14 product professionals, learn how you too can have a high-performing team in just 9 weeks, 75 minutes a week, without travel. This is the system created by Chad, based on his experience working as a product leader, coaching several organizations, and deeply studying innovation during his PhD work. Get the guide for yourself at theeverydayinnovator.com slash RPM. You mentioned jobs be done interviews before, and I want this to be actionable for everyday innovators about how do we get our hands around this and start actually applying it. So maybe we start with interviews, but you tell us where we start. Yes, is the answer. You start with start with interviews. Um, a common, a, I think, I'll say a mistake or just mis, misconception or something about it <clears throat> is that a lot of times people will think that, uh, we, well, we need to start with um, identifying the job to be done. Mm-hmm. You know, what is we've we've got a a, a product out there. Um, we know our business. We should define our job to be done, and then go out there and see how um, how successfully or unsuccessfully. We're helping people to do that. And that's, that's, not, that's not quite right because, first of all, your product is being hired for dozens, maybe a hundred different jobs to be done. So just kind of file that back there um, that you don't have one. You're hired for, for many, many, many. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, start, you start with your customer interviews. And there are, uh, there are you know, two, two different styles of job to be done interview um, that are, uh, you know, recommended and promoted. And you've had both of these folks on one, one is the Tony Ulwick, um, you know, task analysis, very like micro specific um, uh, style of, of interview. And then the other is uh, Bob Mesta and, and Chris Beck. Um, that's much more qualitative, um, following the personal and emotional energy around, um, around the hiring or firing. Mm-hmm. And if you're just getting started, that is the one that I would recommend. Um, and so the way that, the way that it's, it's recommended to begin is, um, and actually you can go to, uh, if I can put in a tiny little plug here, you can go to brianray.com slash JTBD, um, punch in your email address, and then you get full access to my Google Drive that has this, this jobs to be done timeline template. Hmm. And so you want to get that, get that in front of yourself. Everyday innovators, I'll make sure the link is in the show notes to make that easy to find. Thanks. Uh-huh. And so um, you, if, if you use that template or your notebook, you draw a line from the left to the right um, and start from the left, and that's going to be your first thought. Um, and so that's what you're going to look for in from from the customer as you ask them, um, you know, paint a picture for me. Let's pretend we're shooting a documentary here. Um, you have recently purchased 
XYZ product. Um, can you take me all the way back to the very first thought that you had of, huh, I think I might be in the market for this. So try and try and dig into that. And then there will be uh, now they're, you know, passively looking. Um, they're just kind of uh, keeping their eyes open. Then another event happens and that triggers them to go into actual active looking mode. And so now they're collecting their options and comparing them against one another. Then another event happens and they're pretty much now ready to buy. They've, they have decided. And so um, what, uh, uh, what, what, what you're trying to, to dig into at, at each of those things is to understand all of the forces that are at play on that, on that person. Um, and they would, they will not describe it as, you know, the job I was trying to get done. It was, you know, right. um, not at all, but at multiple points along the way, you're going to hear them share. And, you, and this is your job as the interviewer is to, you know, pull, pull out of them um, those stories of the, you know, the functional practical reason that they are trying to decide um, on making this, this new decision, the emotional sense of like, well, what's underneath that functional bit and then social um, social jobs that they may need, you know, be trying to get done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, there's, there are a handful of, of pretty good examples of, uh, uh, of, of this online. I think Jay, actually, yeah, I think Jason Fried and Bob Mesta, um, they did, they did a, a workshop at some point um, in Chicago and put the video online of, uh, of, of that, of that interview. Um, so that could, that could be a helpful one to, to listen to um, through, throughout that, throughout that whole process though. It's, it's, it is extremely, um, it's extremely helpful Um just in, in the present tense for you, the innovator does get a really great idea of who your customer is, but, you know, be sure that you record them um, because you're building an asset mm-hmm. uh, along the way. If you do eight to 12 of these interviews and you start to identify some patterns and now you have an, you know, an idea that you're going to launch when it comes time to create that landing page or to start selling it, um, all of your marketing copy has been created in the form of interviews. Um, and you can use the exact words uh, from, from your customers. Extremely helpful. That's really good. It strikes me that some of this has a relationship to customer journey maps too, right? We're trying to understand that journey that a customer goes through yeah. and accomplishing some action, the things that they touch, the people they interact with along the way, their emotions in the process. Yeah, And if we can identify those places where there's more tension and then reduce that tension, that's really helpful. That's exactly right. Yeah. I was out in California a few weeks ago helping organizations create customer journey maps for their three main personas, their point of view mm-hmm. different customers. So can I, can I ask you a question about that? Do you typically see um, journey maps applied after they've kind of, they've acquired the lead and then from there, or do you see journey maps, you know, way back in the timeline when they're still a customer of a, of a competitor? The answer is yes and yes, right? Yeah. Okay. So, so both of these, you know, your example there of the timeline to go through involved a purchasing decision to help us identify a person to go talk to, right? Okay. And so in some sense, we're developing what I usually call a point of view. It's also called a persona. You know, it's an ideal customer from some segment, 
right? Right. So, and, right. and for this company, we're analyzing three different segments, so three very different ideal customers. But I, but I think you can start anywhere with that. And I think it's really insightful to start with competitors, find customers who are picking the competitors' products, and what job are they trying to solve, right? Why are they hiring that product? Yep. And look at their journey, too. Yeah. That got them to the point where they decided to hire that product instead of yep. something else. Yeah. Yeah. The people that are most instructive and most insightful to talk to are people who have either recently hired or fired your product recently mm-hmm. and people who have hired or fired one of your competitors right. recently. Yeah. Because they apparently have some other reason they're hiring the product than the one you're going after. Right. Yep. That's right. That's right. At least in this context. Okay. So we're going to do an interview, actually talking with someone in this example that you went through who has purchased our product or maybe purchased competitor's product and go back to kind of the very beginning. Why did you first start thinking about this? What triggered that? What kind of research you did? What did you do next? Yep. Other elements of the processor that we should be aware of. Yeah, no, I mean, their thought process along the way, keep your ears out for, for good marketing copy. And you're you're gonna you're just looking for looking for multiple patterns from that first thought to the um, first event that kicks them from passive search into active search, and then another event that puts them into decision mode. And um, an example from my personal life right now is that we're getting ready to paint our house. Hmm. We've been thinking about painting our house for six years, five years, um, because we don't we don't like the color. So that was the first thought was we don't like the color. Um, but I mean, we can, we can live with it. Painting a house is not a non-trivial investment. Um, but then uh, there was a hailstorm and an insurance claim on the roof. Hmm. And so, uh, oh, okay, well, you know, um, we, we're in the same situation of we, we want to paint the house. Um, we can live with it. Um, but since we're doing the roof, uh, it's, boy, it's really going to look like dated. It's going to look dated now. So that kind of kicks, you know, kicks us into passive search mode. Um, then we settle upon the roof. We know exactly what color and material it's going to be. Um, and so then that gets us into a little bit more active searching and getting uh-huh. quotes. And huh, lo and behold, there are a couple of folks with really great reviews that are in our price range. Um, and so if I'm a painter, if I'm a house painter, um, you know, I may, maybe they already know this, um, but if they, if they don't, a, p- a potential interesting insight would be to do some sort of partnering up with roofing companies around the time of large weather events. Right. Um, that, as far as I know, <laughs> that could already be happening. Yeah. But from my personal experience, like that, that's, that's uh, the insight. Right. There. And that's a really important insight. Or maybe another action is, you know, that's when your direct mail campaigns yes. kick up yes. and start sending out postcards to everyone in the neighborhood who had hail damage. Yeah. Yeah. And you said two things in there that are really important. First, you know, keeping your ears out for good marketing copy. That's so much of the value of talking to customers is we get to hear how they talk about the problem that they want yeah. to solve yeah. in their own words. And, you know, our job is very cross-functional. We need to be taking that back to our product marketers or our marketing people and say, here is what how we need to position this in the marketplace because this is what people are telling us. Yep. And the other one was looking for patterns. You're not just doing mm-hmm. one or two interviews. You actually don't have to do a lot. Right. People, people that do this sort of work, and I've seen this too, you know, after six to eight, you may very well find saturation where you're hearing the key things over. And you don't need to hear something very often to go, wow, we're not doing that. We really need to change, right? Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, J- so Jacob Nielsen of N- Nielsen Norman Group, which is like the elite, uh-huh. you know, user experience, uh, customer research, um, you know, agency. Jacob Nielsen himself says that user testing, um, slightly different from customer interviews, but the, the concept is the same. User testing beyond five is probably a waste of time. Elaborate user tests beyond five is a waste of time because you're much better off doing five three times back to back. So do do five, collect 85% of the insights that you're going to get uh-huh. action on those, do another batch of five um, and so on. And that's better than doing 15 elaborate tests. I think this is exactly what you're saying about interviews is do, you know, six to eight, as you suggest uh-huh. act on those and then do do a follow up, um, follow up batch. And that's, yeah. that's completely approachable, completely doable. The interesting pattern that Bob Maisto identified in that Chris Pickett interview I did about the Snickers bar versus the Milky Way. People hire the Snicker bar because they're hungry. They want something that fills them up for a while. They know they can eat a Snickers and they'll be satisfied for a couple hours. Yes. Because it's dense, right? Yep. A Milky Way is hired because they feel that they deserve a reward. It's this more indulgence activity. Those are two very different jobs. And Hershey was going to kill one of these brands because they felt one was siphoning off profits from the other one. And I guess the logistics of maintaining both wasn't worth it to them at the time. And they just didn't know which one to kill. That's what they were hiring Bob to help them figure out. Well, it turns out both have their place in the market. Mm -hmm. After that research, they actually made Snickers more hardy. So they changed the formula. And they made Milky Way more indulgent and rich and creamy to better serve those two different buyer groups. Love it. Love it. I thought that was fascinating. Okay. This has been really helpful to look at this tool. It's a tool that I'm sure product managers have heard about if they're not using already. And it's really good to hear you talk through how you've used it and doing those interviews, sharing some of the insights that we can pull out. As listeners know, I love a good innovation quote. What do you have for us? Perfection is the Enemy of Progress uh, by Winston Churchill. And so I think that there is a balance to be struck between sloppy work that is not ready for public consumption and the pursuit of perfection. And um, more often often than not, people are, uh, are slowed down from making progress by perfection not by putting something that's half-baked or not quite ready um, and, and failing for that reason. Uh, I, I think that we should constantly be trying to figure out ways to incrementally improve, um, of course, um, but waiting until the thing is just right, just so, and completely perfect to release it is, is, is the enemy. Right. It's the history of the MVP, the minimal viable product sort of Mm -hmm. idea, right? Let's get something that actually provides some value, but the minimal amount that would be viable with with our early adopters. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I've heard people talk about B-minus work with my university professor hat on. I actually really appreciate this. And I remember sitting in a college literature course back in my undergrad days, and this great teacher sharing how he loved B-students. And he went through the, the whole comparison. He talked about the C students. You know, they actually need to try a little bit harder. And, and you know, yeah. you're going up skiing a few too many times during the <laughs> winter months here in Colorado. And the A students, you know, there's more to life to be thinking about here. You got, you got to get work done and move on to the next thing. Yeah. Uh, and more recently, I've heard people talk about 
B minus products in the sense of we got to get it out to the marketplace and then figure out what, what to change. Yeah. And there's something to be said about that. I, I do, there's this tension in me about the MVP and I often think of it in terms of it needs to be the minimal viable instead of viable yes. product. Cause yeah. sometimes people throw crap against the wall and they, and that's what they're doing. They're not, not sure what customers actually need and they're just throwing something yeah. against the wall. Yeah. But I love this idea. Perfection is the enemy of progress. We need to get things into customers' hands to get insights. Good. Thanks, Brian. You shared your website once. I'll make sure there's links out there to that in the show notes. But tell people how they can track you down, get a hold of uh, your resources. Uh, you can find me at brianray.com. Ray is R-H-E-A. Uh, I should maybe just see if I can register Brian Ray, R-A-Y. <laughs> Probably. Uh, so that I don't have to do this each, each time. But uh, yeah, brianray.com. Got some blog posts and things that you can find uh, there. If you're interested specifically in jobs to be done stuff, then go to brianray.com slash JTBD. You can find me on Twitter at bray. Um, although I'm not, not as active on Twitter uh, these days anymore, but um, you can uh, reach out to me there and I'll be happy to have a conversation or you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Brian Ray, product strategist. Great. And I'll have, again, the, those links in the show notes to make it easy for everyday innovators to get more information. I appreciate you telling us about that timeline template. I would definitely want to go check that out, brianray.com slash JTBD, jobs to be done. Excellent. Really enjoy uh, talking with you, Brian. Enjoy the chance to get to meet a fellow Colorado who's helping the product community kind of up our game a bit. And thanks for sharing the tool with us. It's my pleasure to be here. Hope we can run into each other in person at a conference sometime. Likewise. Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator. This is where product leaders and managers make their move to product masters, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence. So you'll create those products that customers love, creating value for them and value for yourself. Brian shared a lot of good information, especially that interview process for doing jobs be done. And you'll find a summary of everything we talked about at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 223. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit theeverydayinnovator.com.